Welcome to Love Extremist Radio. Being a love extremist means committing to and choosing love as joyful activism. I'm your host, Ethan Lipsitz, self-proclaimed love extremist. Love can exist everywhere, and yet, when talking about it, we all seem to define it differently. There are many environments and individuals to whom love seems lost, or was never there to begin with. I want to engage myself, my guests, and you to confront love, get to know it as it appears in many forms, and learn from others who have love stories to share. I'll focus on three frames of love, self-love, love in partnership, and love in community. My intention is to uncover and share stories that shed light on love in new and often forgotten ways. Hello, everyone. It is Ethan Lipsitz back with Love Extremist Radio. I am very excited to be in Newton, Massachusetts with my new friend, Amy. Amy Tai is a single mom, a Suzuki violin teacher, a climate activist, peer counseling teacher, settler on indigenous lands, and immigrant to this country. She is fiercely passionate about and committed to human liberation and doing everything possible to avoid climate catastrophe, which are totally interconnected. Amy is proud to join the ranks of love extremists. I love your bio. Thank you. It's very succinct, and you're, you're kind of, you articulate your professional identity, but also your passions and what's important to you. And I really appreciate your articulation of being a settler on indigenous lands. Is that something that you've always been conscious of? And No, actually, completely ignorant. Uh, absolutely uh, new. I, I, I feel like a newcomer to this area. Mm. Um, I would say that it started when I was, started being more of an activist in the climate movement and, you know, and also um, hearing about people talk about land recognition, indigenous being on indigenous land, and having gone to workshops also where this gets stated very clearly, and, and I have thought about it. But it wasn't until I met my friend uh, Wampamequin, Wampatuck, his, um, he is the local chief of the Mattakeset here in Massachusetts, and he's taught me so much, and I've learned just huge amounts from him. Wow. Um, and I have also gone to workshops for being allies to, nat- allies to natives, allies to indigenous people. And I lived in Cusco, Peru for 11 years, where, you know, it, everybody's <laughs> much more indigenous. And, um, yeah. But I wasn't as aware of, like, the whole, you know, settler indigenous uh, identities for myself until more recently in the last few years. Yeah. Um, and now when I go back to Peru, I have a very different perspective on everything. Got it. Does it feel like in Peru there isn't such a dichotomy between indigenous cultures and So what's settlers? really sad is that because of the way the oppression has landed right, on indigenous people is that the internalized oppression, right, being, being genocided, being um, dismissed, being told that you're cultures here, people were not worth as much as the people who came in and settled or conquered you, that the uh, Peruvians use the word indigenous often as an insult. Wow. Um, That it's a negative thing. Mm -hmm. So people, 
um, are really derogatory about the indigenous. E- even community. amongst their own communities, indigenous uh, especially communities? Especially among, yeah. So it's it's interesting. You see that sometimes where like first generation or second generation immigrants might try to erase their yes. cultural identity so as to assimilate. Absolutely, that happens still. Right, it happens a lot. And uh, luckily, I think it's changing in Peru. You know, a lot um, because of because the world's changing, and we're starting to recognize a little bit more of how really screwed up our system is, where we've valued certain. We have certain values, right. you know, that have nothing to do with culture and being human and um, authentic. Uh, you know, the, the the original natural languages and cultures of the indigenous peoples all over the world. Totally. So. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about how this this incredible diversity of culture is slowly or sometimes quickly seems to be almost evaporating from our view and finding it here in Newton, Massachusetts, connections to this being an indigenous land. I mean, I didn't even know the local tribe. um, Well, a lot of people, there's a lot of confusion about it and a lot of misinformation. Um, And I could spend the whole hour talking about that, actually. Um, You know, my my friend Wampamequin has done extensive research and explained things to me about, you know, what the word Wampanoag really meant, and, Mm. you know, there's a lot of controversy, it's very touchy, it's very delicate, Mm. Um, but but really, the Massachusetts people are here still, and, you know, all the myths and all the misinformation that I got raised with, I I, I really didn't, I, I hadn't met a real indigenous person from the Massachusetts nation ever, you know, until I met him. So Wow. <laughs> it was it was it was mind blowing. That's yeah. very interesting. Yeah. yeah, I just remember growing up with Mohican Sun and all of the the casinos that were legal because they were on indigenous land, mm-hmm. uh, reservation land. Um, but I that was you know Mohi, that was pretty pretty much the connection. Foxwoods. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kind of stuff. Yeah, I heard about that too, yeah. but was something far away. Yeah, yeah, that's a strange one. Well, we were connected via Alex Rosenberg, so if you all listen back a few episodes, you'll hear um, towards the end of season one of the podcast, I had an interview with Alex, who is a climate activist and a climate consultant, and also a quadriplegic, and an incredible old friend, now renewed friend, um, and he suggested I talk to Amy and said, oh man, if you want to talk to a love activist, get in touch with Amy. And so I'm so grateful to be sitting here with you and having this conversation. We spoke briefly on the phone. Um, But I'd love to get to the root of what this show and this program is all about, which is defining love and how you define love in your life. Yeah. So I really see love as what is at the core of everything and what is our what our universe is made of so it's like I know that many religions would say love is God right God Mm. is love Mm. I don't actually I'm more agnostic I believe in spirit I believe that there's spirit in everything that love is what's what's there when there isn't hurt 
Mm. So, for example, you know, hurt or damage or pain. So if we can, you know, heal ourselves from the ways we've been hurt, the ways that we've um, been made to feel angry or jealous or, you know, greedy or all the different emotions that can get in the way of feeling love. It's like if we can heal from those things, then we will feel love and, and we'll get back to love. Love is the root of everything. Hmm. And um, I think Martin Luther King knew that. I think that people like Thich Nhat Hanh, the Buddhist monk who teaches his practice, you know, I think everybody, and Jesus Christ, you know, all the, uh, the enlightened beings in our world hmm. know that it's all about love. Hmm. And so you feel as though hate or anger or greed are not natural states? No, definitely not. But it's, they have been around for so long that many people will argue that they are natural states, that that's right. part of being human. Or they'll state the Bible, you know, the sin, original sin and all that. But um, I really believe that love is what we naturally feel toward each other. Like if you imagine babies when they're born, like they want to connect with people. They want to, they want to plug in. They don't want to be... They, they, they don't want to, they, they wouldn't judge people until they've actually been taught or and I, and I actually do believe in transgenerational trauma and mm-hmm. transgenerational hurt so you can have genetically you know you, if you've been if, if your people have been hurt for generations you know I do believe that there are patterns and um, hurts that get passed down um, and you can you can personally try to heal, you know, from everything. And I think it's possible to heal mm-hmm. from everything. Mm. might take us several lifetimes, but <laughs> no, I, 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 I've seen incredible transformation in, in myself and many, many, many other people. So I, and I've read, certainly read a lot as well. Yeah. So there are a lot of heroes, sheroes in the world. Absolutely. Yeah. I think about trauma and pain as a very important function of our humanity. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that because for me, experiencing trauma, for example, of a life-threatening diagnosis of brain cancer in my life helped me orient more towards love Mm -hmm. and acknowledge that actually if I have limited days on this earth, which we all have, Mm -hmm. um, I want to use them in service of love Mm -hmm. and in service of cultivating that. And it took, for me, a traumatic event, a Mm wake-up call, Mm -hmm. in order to get to that place. Mm -hmm. And I know for some people that's not the case. That's not necessarily the result of their trauma. Mm -hmm. And their trauma Mm -hmm. might bring them deeper into a darker place. Mm -hmm. And yet, it's hard for me to think that a life without trauma or darkness um, would be would be uh, natural. It feels right, like there's that. Right. That's a really excellent question and a really good point. I so so people think I think that that, that comes from a question that comes from a place of like seeing people as very individualist individual, okay. right? And and separate, and you know that you can somehow separate yourself from the um, suffering of the world, or you know the war is going on on the other side of the world or war is going on not so far Mm. or, you know, um, people's struggles that are very close by. And you can, yourself personally, you might grow up in a beautiful home with loving parents and, 
you know, everything's lovely and nobody's abusing you and nobody's hurting you, but if you walk around in the world, and you know, most people are, are not just in a bubble. They walk around, they see, they watch the news, they see homeless people on the street, they see in, inequity, they see injustice. Mm -hmm. And little, you know, young people are always very, very connected to what's fair. You know, that's not fair, right? Mm. That, and that injustice is very strong for them. So as a young person, you, you do feel you do mm -hmm. feel the, the, you know, the unfairness of things or the misery of other people or you see the unhappiness of other people. You see that things aren't right. But mm -hmm. our society has pretty much said, you know, well, that's just the way it is. You have to just, you know, accept it and, and, and live your life. Mm. And it's, it's really, I think, um, that's where people have had to disconnect themselves from that place of like, but that's not right. Like, I don't... I don't think that's fair. I don't think that's right. I want to do something about that, right? And yeah. and if you're t if you're shut down enough times or told you're not going to be able to do anything, you're just too little, you don't understand, you eventually give up, right? Mm. You just like say, okay, that's the way things are. I have to just move on and live my life. Mm -hmm. And I I think that love has to like that's why we have the climate catastrophe as well. It's right. We've shut down from the connection to the planet, we've shut down from our connection to each other, mm. we've shut down, it's like the climate catastrophe has been brought on by a system that, you know, prioritizes profit and, and productivity over people and mm. over life on this planet, right, mm. and we don't care so much about the animals and the ocean life and the, right, and, and, and different people from different parts of the world who might be struggling, it's like if we have enough resource on this planet to feed everybody mm. we have enough money to you know it's like the amount of resource we have we could totally take care of the human beings and other life forms on this planet if we didn't have this very irrational system in place mm. and, and if um people can really if people could see themselves as connected mm. you know and, mm -hmm. and and to in order to feel connected you have to heal so that healing, that's why I think the healing work is so crucial. Mm. I want to speak to that healing work, but before we do, I just want to push a little bit deeper on that point because I think about the seasons and the cyclical nature of the seasons. And if you think about winter, it is a very bleak time normally. The trees look like they're dead. The sky loses its color most of the time. Um, there's beauty in the winter, and I absolutely love it. Yes. And there's also a lot of emotional qualities that are oriented more towards darkness, more towards sadness or quiet, um, hibernation. And I, I think about that in the context of the natural world making a case for regenerative cycles that include bleak, dark death. Right or death being essentially present in every cycle. Well, I don't think death has to be bleak or dark. Okay. I mean, think of the indigenous peoples' belief. Right. right? Many, many indigenous cultures believe that death is just like birth. It's right. just another doorway into another part of your like cycle. Right. Of, yeah. Of life. It's life, death, birth, uh, change. So I don't know that that our intense fear of death and that are seeing death always as bleak and 
you know, bad. Mm. I, we have, we have a, one planet that is actually not able to sustain the kind of population growth that we have. Mm -hmm. We, um, we, we try, we have people who really want to become immortal. Right. Right. Now, if we implant ourselves to become robots, half robot, half human, and mm. go for that immortality, how do we then choose, how do you, how do you give life, how do you create, like, creation, right? Creation is so important, mm. and, and it would be, now that would be a really strange world for us to, like, stop creating new beings. Yeah, it would. Um, and and that those of us who have the means to just like live on forever, <laughs> that, that gets into you know a whole. So so I don't know. I don't see death as bleak necessarily, and I think that um, you know human beings have to feel the dark, the depths of despair, the depths of feeling in order to be able to love life and mm -hmm. and connect with life more mm -hmm. deeply. If you don't allow yourself to feel the dark, hard feelings, then, you know, and, and, and we all do, right? But, but we have a lot of ways of avoiding those feelings. We have drugs and alcohol and TV and Netflix and, you know, food and so many different ways that we avoid our feelings. And everybody, you know, is pretty aware of that, but it's still like the choices. Right. Like, let's, let's just ignore those feelings. And, and it's not anybody's fault. Like, we were trained to do that. Like right. People have raised that way. or And it's not the parents' fault, and it's not the grandparents' fault, it's just part of... And it comes from, like, thousands of years of human survival. Right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like, human survival, um, you know, is hard. Yeah, and <laughs> I, 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 again, I guess I get back to, because we have this numb-out culture, because we have this avoidance of death, or this fear of death, Sometimes I think the role of trauma is actually to wake people up, to jolt yeah. folks and shake them and say, hey, sure. pay attention. Sure. You know, your life is sure. limited and so is this planet. Sure. And so, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I, that's partly why I might be the way I am, too, because my father died when I was 10. Wow. And so, and I had a lot of early death experiences with people. So in my elementary school class, um, there were several parents who had died. Wow. And I was seven or eight years old when one of my friends got hit by a car right in front of me. Oh my gosh. And she died. So she was seven or eight years old. And um, I think that, like, I think I've always been really aware of, like, how quickly you can go mm. and how precious it is to, you know, it's like. Yeah, that's waste. some good trauma right there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I had plenty of trauma. So, so, so I'd love to hear more about some of the healing work that you do, um, because you're talking about starting to heal, and and and, yeah. What 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 does you speak about human liberation in your bio? What does that mean? So, so our human beings have the capacity to heal, like our physical bodies, our mm -hmm. mental, emotional. You know, we have we. If you think of a baby, the baby cries, right? And babies cry out of language, first of all, because they don't know how to talk yet, but they also just cry because they're healing. Um, and we cry when we need to heal. We laugh, right? We shake after we've been scared. We've, um, 
we yawn to heal as well. We, uh, we, we talk to each other. We try to, you know, we try to connect and communicate and tell about our hurts or our, you know, what's bothering us. Um, and, and we sweat. Mm. Uh, sweating is healing. That's why exercise is such a big, you know, important part of so many people's lives. I think they feel better after they exercise. Cause mm-hmm. It's not only, you know, there's, there's all sorts of things going on in the brain, but sweating. So sweating, shaking, yawning, laughing, crying, these are all ways that we, our body naturally heals. Unfortunately, our society really has cut those avenues of healing off. Like, hmm. we prefer to drug people instead of let them cry. We prefer mm-hmm. to give antidepressants instead of actually feeling those hard feelings. You know, we prefer to drink alcohol instead of feeling feelings, right? Or there's so many ways, and, and we tell babies, and it's very well-intentioned often. Sometimes it is and sometimes it isn't. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's, you know, um, sometimes it's blatant machismo or sexism or male domination where it's like, boys don't cry, don't cry. Right. And I think a lot of people have heard of the stories where a male baby is, you know, immediately treated differently from a female baby, baby mm. and that it has to do with, like, be a big boy, like even the language they use, like about male babies, the male oppression sets in immediately, mm-hmm. right? The mm-hmm. sexism sets in immediately. People's so sexism, racism, you know, classism, all these oppressions are with us. Like we are sponges in this world that is really polluted by these different oppressions and. We grow up in that. We didn't ask for it. We didn't want it necessarily. We were trained, and then we might be taught that no, this is right. You need to right. think this way. But um, but but we can heal if people are listening. And if you notice, like people often try to talk about something, and then most of us, you know, most most time people jump in and are like, oh yeah, that happened to me too. Mm. You know. Um, Oh yeah, you should do this, or that people start advising you, or suggesting to do things, and and uh, really we just need to be listened to, mm. like, and that's what the healing work I do a lot of is the listening. That's a peer counseling part of my life, which is a big part of my life. Mm-hmm. Um, I listen to people, and they listen to me, and we get to really look at the places where we've been hurt and and heal, and so I feel like my life is completely different because of that. You know, when I'm mad at my son, for example, instead of yelling at him, I go off and I yell at my counselor and, and talk about how upset I am. And then we look at the early place in my life where I didn't have that kind of attention or something happened to me and I would have no patience for that because this is what happened to me when, when mm. I did that. You know, So then I have a context and an understanding of where my anger or frustration or rage is coming from and then when I go back hopefully you know I can talk to him about like well this is what was really going on and this is when you do this this is how you know I react or but but hopefully you know and of course I'm like every parent I have my moments where it's like you can't be that (laughs) that that enlightened and loving but but I definitely feel like if I didn't have that place you know, I would be constantly in a much worse place. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like a really important practice. And so what I'm gathering from peer counseling is really 
there's a process of active listening yes. where you're very present with someone else as yes. they share their experience, yes. perspective. And then there's a process of looking back in we their take life. Turns. We take turns listening to each other and we try to help each other look at like what happened early in their life that that is like at the root of why they're so, you know, upset. And and the, the real premise is that we if you're present, completely present, and you're not carrying your past hurts, like if somebody does something to piss you off, right, you don't necessarily have to react angrily. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like you could just be like, oh, that person's having a bad day. Right. Or that person is like really, boy, they, they're, they're having a hard time. Yeah. And it doesn't have to rub anything on you the wrong way. Mm -hmm. But if you have been yelled at or if you have had experiences in your life where people have, you know, and, and there's fear in you or there's, you know, whatever is inside us, that's like the Velcro that makes it stick. Mm -hmm. like, you know, so we're trying to clean out the Velcro that makes things stick so that we can be really completely present and and understand and have compassion when somebody is like having a hard time. Mm -hmm. You know, you can be compassionate when somebody needs to, um, you know, if somebody's upset, like I'm a teacher, so a lot of times my students start crying, you know, because of frustration and instead of trying to get them to stop I really want to honor and you know honor who they are and what they need at that moment mm -hmm. which is it's okay you know when I was practicing violin when I was little I needed to cry too you know yeah. and uh, and it's different to have somebody listen to you cry right that's really powerful it's very different than being alone with it yeah I agree that's a really beautiful point I also wonder about that stickiness, that finding that Velcro, and do you feel as though simply airing that and being heard is a way of actually releasing it so the next time you're triggered or it comes up, you react differently? Or what actually like prompts a shift in behavior? You know, it really depends. Every single human being is totally different. Yeah. And... And yeah, patterns, our patterns are very ingrained in us and sometimes they're so chronic that we don't even know they're patterns. We just think it's a part of us. Like, right. That's just the way I am. Right. But they are like just about, so I, I really believe that every human being is brilliant and loving and creative and flexible and, and these, you know, and, and zestful about life and if you're not feeling those things if you're not able to be those ways it's because of the way you've been hurt mm. and um and and haven't had the opportunity yet to heal um and in no way do i ever want to sound like i'm blaming an individual for like it's like we're all doing our best mm. we're all doing our best given whatever circumstances so if somebody says uh, you like people have said to me, you've been counseling for over 25 years and you still get mad about that. Mm. <laughs> and I'm like, you know what? You have no idea where I started from. So, yeah. <laughs> so it's like we never know where what the history of the person in front of us is. So yeah, it's very easy to judge sometimes, and it's but it's also really important to remember like we have no idea what people are struggling with. Mm. Really, and when I listen to people, sometimes I'm just like, it's it's a miracle. You're you're a miracle mm. that you went through all that, and you are still here fighting, doing this, doing that. You know, being the incredible being that you are, 
Mm. We are miracles. I think there's often a perception of victim empowerment duality, much like love, fear, duality. That where people look to those who are living in a state of victim nature and say, well, they must be in choice. Right. Right. And and they can also choose to heal or choose to step into empowerment. Right. And that may be true, but it also it requires a exceptional amount of work and intention yes. Yes. and training. And you need help. Right. And that takes it takes a certain amount of resource just to get that help. Right. Or or luck or or whatever it is, it's like, it's a lot to, I feel very privileged and very grateful that I have had the kind of attention and resource, you know, in my life to be able to do this work. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's amazing. Um, so are there, like, it sounds like liber- the idea of a being liberated as a human, it almost feels like that is a... A, a consistent, um, it's it's like it's like a destination you almost never arrive to, not in a bad way though. It's right. almost kind of like the liberation is constant, as is the growth, right? Yeah. As is the creativity. Would you yeah. agree with that yeah, statement? Yeah, I would, and I, I think it's I think that um, you know the idea of perfect imperfection. Right. Is really important. Yeah, wabi sabi. Per- yeah, we're perfect in our imperfection. That song is really beautiful because I think, you know, we are imperfect, but we're just right. Right. In that. Yeah, one of the questions I had for Amy was who is the liberated human, right? Who can we look to? And I kept on thinking about all of these figures in history who we look to as heroes, as saviors. But inevitably, you can find the kinks, you can find their traumas, you can find their misdoings, the places where they fell short. And I think we all have shadows, we all have challenges, we all have traumas. Yeah, Yeah, even the greatest leaders, uh, you know, who who have done some terrible things, you know they're human, and we're no like yeah, like you're saying, no human being is perfect, and I don't think we should hold up any human being as, like with this kind of oh they should be able to do that or they shouldn't have you know they should have known better. It's like we're all doing our best, and that <laughs> includes our leaders, and that includes the people who we think are so enlightened. So mm. like, the answer to that that question really is, it's, it, I have many heroes and sheroes and people who I think did amazing things but I certainly don't think of them as perfect like they didn't have any flaws or right or struggles right it's a it's a collage disservice to them too right absolutely so how do you see the connection between love and climate catastrophe as you spoke so I touched on that a little bit um already with the you know the fact that people, we are very disconnected. Mm-hmm. We see ourselves as individuals who um, aren't, aren't connected to, whether it's other human beings or aren't connected to the planet, aren't connected mm. to 
uh, other life forms on the planet, you know, um, the trees, the mountains. The, it's it, that disconnect. So climate catastrophe, you know, the excess, the excess consumerism, consumerism in general, um, greed, and you know, capitalism is really about production and profit, right? And, and mm -hmm. it's like the bottom line is always, are we making money? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and that that can. That has led, you know, since the Industrial Revolution, that has led to the kind of disaster that we are facing now mm. because of the planet's resources, the, burn, the, the fossil fuels that we're burning and extracting, you know, the, and that is also, that has been um, completely, uh, excuse the pun, fueled by the fossil fuel industry. They, we know, they knew about the uh, they knew about the greenhouse gases. They knew about that, you know, 30, 40 years, 40 years ago. Mm. And they chose to ignore it. Their scientists were right on the money. Their mm. scientists were totally, they knew exactly what was going to happen. They, you know, and, but the greed really mm. took over. And, and human beings having been hurt by this society and not being able to heal in order to be able and I forgot to say that in healing we learned we, we actually get back our thinking and our intelligence about being able to think about things for ourselves and not just be you know believing whatever is told to us or um, you know we don't question a lot and and if we're connected and thinking then we know that rationally it can't make sense to have like storage, you know, the millions of storage compartments of things that we don't need and we don't use, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, buying things when we feel bad, mm -hmm. you know, um, there's so many ways that we, and again, I don't blame the human beings for doing this or mm -hmm. being in these patterns, but we need to all look deeply at, you know, what are we trying to escape from? Mm. What is it that we can't bear to face? Mm. And, wow. and with climate catastrophe, that's that's you know that's huge. Everybody, nobody, and very few people can actually face what we're we're gonna have to deal with. So how do you face it? I have my sessions of counseling, <laughs> and I go and I and I cry. I cry every day. I cry. Mm -hmm. I laugh. I do. You know, I do a lot of, um, and I can do a lot in two minutes. I can like call up somebody and say, let's. Can you listen to me for two minutes? Mm -hmm. And I'll listen, you know, we listen to each other for two minutes and I can totally transform my day. Wow. You know, from having, feeling like total crap mm -hmm. to being, okay, this is an old feeling. This is an early feeling where when I was little, I felt helpless or I felt angry or, you know, in, in my household, there was a lot to be angry about and a lot to be scared about mm. and, um, and a lot to feel powerless about. But, mm. The reality of today is very different from my reality as a little young person. So, you know, and we have to remember that we're all, we're all, uh, I love the Sandra Cisneros um, image of, you know, the, the onion rings and that, mm -hmm. you know, there's still a four-year-old inside us, there's still a three-year-old inside us, still a ten-year-old inside us, and mm -hmm. those people are still, like, yanking at our attention. No, I didn't like that. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or that makes me feel bad. Yeah, absolutely. So, I guess it sounds like 
the counseling is one tool that you see as a way of addressing the climate catastrophe in that we exist as a collective humanity. And when we start to see each other for who we are, honor each other, give each other space to heal and support each other in healing, we are healing the planet because truth becomes more pure. We become more in touch with what is real. Yeah, and the other thing is, you know, you feel connected to more people of different backgrounds. It's like Mm. I counsel with people in the Philippines, Israel, um, you know, Vancouver, California. I hear people's stories from all over. I've I've heard people's stories who are immigrants from, you know, um, Laos or Vietnam, Mm. um, the 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 Zaire, you know, countries that I guess have different names now. So the, um, I can't remember what Zaire's present name is, but there's you know, or East Africa, there are people who I would not necessarily normally in my everyday life be able to hear their stories. And if you love people from these different places and different cultures and different, you know, you can't be the same anymore. Mm. Like you can't like the whole Islamophobia and you know hatred toward people who you don't know. I mean, uh, GLBTQ people who get targeted because people don't even know one person. Like, they, you know, when I talked with a friend once about, and she was she was a Mormon, she was talking about her, you know, feelings about GLBTQ people, and I said, do you know anybody? And she's like, no. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, you know, maybe if you knew people, you couldn't talk like that, because I have friends who I love dearly, and I could never, ever abide have this kind of oppression by mm. people I love. So if you can love people, you know, if you have people you love who are from all these different backgrounds and from different walks of life and different classes and races, you you can't, you know, you wouldn't be able to sit by and let these things happen to them. Mm. I think that a lot of our bystander passivity and apathy or indifference or, you know, not getting off the couch to do anything to change things just goes... I don't know anybody that's like that, and you can't really sympathize or empathize. Yeah, I think also on the flip side, there is a culture of, oh, I have black friends, or I have gay friends, so I can behave in this way. Absolutely, that's true too. And so there's both. There's those who don't have connection, and then those who do and feel like that gives them license to act in a a certain way. Um, But yeah, it's, it's... but there's a concept of that which is that people have talked about the the kitchen the kitchen relationship like <laughs> you know like do you have when you say I have a black friend or I have black friends right like do you have black friends who invite you into their homes mm. and you are in their kitchen and you've seen their life you know you've been with them in their kitchen, like as right. opposed to I buy the water cooler at work. Right. Right. It's a very different relationship, and yeah. and because of the effects of racism, and you know, people are very different out in the world than they are in their kitchens, right? That's in true. their own home. And the real question is, have you been invited into their space? Yeah. Because like, you know, we as people of color, and I use the term people of the global majority because white people are nine percent of the world population. People of the global majority, which mm-hmm. are, you know, <laughs> not white, bigger, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and not that I want to refer to us as not white, but that we um, have to often 
assimilate right to white dominant cultures so, right, and right. society. So it's very different to be like acceptable out in the real world in the workplace and different to have friends in your kitchen, people that you feel really safe with and would really be really you. Like, are you showing the real you? Thank you for welcoming me into your kitchen. <laughs> oh, you're, very, you're welcome, and I love Alex and his whole family, and mm. any friend, like I said, and you said, any friend of Alex's is mm. totally welcome. But I, I've, I would welcome just about anybody into my kitchen at this point because I really feel like any stranger is a potential friend. Yeah, I feel that way too. I also have been felt betrayed by that feeling at times. Mm -hmm. um, I've gotten into situations where I've been attacked mm -hmm. or physically people or physically mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and in other ways too, um, verbally of course, but um, I've been in situations where I felt like my trust for humanity or for strangers actually wasn't reciprocated or wasn't merited. Yeah. Yeah, merited. Yeah. Have you ever, how do you handle, how do you address that? So, again, I, I guess I have to go back to, like, my sessions. Mm. I, I go back into my sessions and I, and I you know, I, I rant and rave about that. I, 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 I might cry deeply about, like, feeling betrayed mm -hmm. or hurt um, by, or stupid. Like, mm. I'll, I might say, oh, I feel so stupid, I should have known, or whatever. Um, but if you can heal from that particular incident, right? You can also look at, like, where was the earliest place in my life where I felt betrayed? Yeah. And it usually the reactions that we have to things are not, are much bigger than the actual present day hurt, like whatever somebody did to you to offend you or to hurt you. Now it's different to be attacked physically. That's a very different thing. Mm -hmm. um, but I... Again, I think that you can heal, and I think that eventually you always get back to the how many people in your life have shown you love, or right. how many people in your life. And again, I understand that this is a really privileged place I'm coming from, because some people's lives, they have had very little love shown to them, right? Some people's reality is filled with um, distrust and mm -hmm. you know, good reason to distrust people, good reason to to be angry, good reason to, you know, um, and, and again, if you have the privilege like some of us do, mm -hmm. we need to have compassion for that as well, and, and provide resource, and make the world, you know, more just and equitable so that people don't have to suffer that kind of, you know, it's like a lot of the suffering is because of the economic injustices, right, so mm. people don't have um, enough money to yeah. to live in with without the worry of where your next meal is coming from or um, there's just so many so many ways that not having enough makes you behave monstrously right there's also I, I often think about negativity bias and how even the most privileged people often fixate on the negative. Mm -hmm. um, the word co-misery doesn't have an opposite, even though my good friend, my friend Dave, 
um, came up with this concept of co-joy, co-joyousate instead of commiserate. But this idea comes up a lot in conversations I have with friends around negativity bias and the fact that you could have a day that's absolutely fantastic, but one person does something to ruin your day. It ruins the day. Yeah. And it, yeah. and if, if 99% of that day was great and 1% of that day was bad, you yeah. fixate on that 1% and that's our negativity bias. Uh-huh. And it's almost as if as humans and as a species, we need that neg- that negativity festers in such a way. It's almost like we crave it, we need it, or it's, it's, it's medicinal or there's an addiction to that. Mm-hmm. I think that it might come from thousands of years ago when, when the, you know, something that was going to be life-threatening mm-hmm. um, happened. You had to remember that. Mm-hmm. Like, that was a survival instinct. And I really think that we have a lot of, a lot of patterns of behavior that come from a long time ago. But because we now have this healing we, we know about this healing process. We, it's like, mm-hmm. we know it's possible to heal. I think you could actually decide in your mind to change your perspective on like, you know, I think that, that the decision that we can make in our minds is incredibly powerful. And like say, you know what, that, what that is, I am fixating on this. And yeah, I agree with you. But it takes, yeah. It, it takes, takes a lot of work to right. get to that point where you can actually catch yourself doing these things and be aware yeah. like in your mind, too. I'm studying, um, I'm listening to a book called The Biology of Belief by Dr. Bruce Lipton, and he speaks about how the subconscious mind is actually four million, I think, or, or a million times more powerful than the conscious mind. Mm-hmm. So the conscious mind can really only process maybe mm-hmm. 40 things at once, mm-hmm. while the subconscious can process 40 million. That's incredible. And so subconsciously, there's it takes so much work to change the subconscious yeah. mind, right? Oh, Whereas yeah. even though our conscious mind might be powerful, it can really only focus on so many things at once. So if we focus it on eliminating negativity bias in our life or focusing on the positive or really ap- appreciating the beauty around us, mm-hmm. that's a really great first step. Mm-hmm. And there's so much more to uncover in the subconscious that's been built up. Mm-hmm. So thus, the work you do in counseling is so valuable. What are some other ways where you look uh, on a daily basis for practices that can address our climate catastrophe? Well, personally, I, 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 live, uh, <laughs> I live a pretty, probably, could, most people would consider it a kind of um, extremist life, maybe. Okay, um, I like that. So before I buy anything new, mm-hmm. I try to think, A, do I need it? Right. B, if I really need it, can I borrow it? Mm-hmm. From do I need to have my own, or mm. can I borrow it um, from somebody, a friend, a neighbor? If I need to have it my own, then can I get it from a secondhand store? Can I free cycle it? I don't mm. know if you know about free cycle, but free cycle is great in this area. Mm. Um, and I can, I can, I furnish my entire house through trash picking and free cycling mm. um, because I really don't want to contribute to you know the production of new things and. And I don't own a car. I share with my mom. I take the tea and bike and walk whenever possible. So 
these are little things like what, and I'm a vegetarian. Mm. So, you know, one of the top five things you can do for the planet is be a vegetarian mm. um, as an individual. On a collective, in a, not so, not in my individual life, but as a group, I work with um, different groups. I work with Mothers Out Front. I work with, I, I'm, you know, we have, I'm part of Sustaining All Life, United Den Racism, um, which is actually part of the counseling community as well. I, uh, I do a lot of work with different groups, and I go to the state house, I lobby, I protest, um, and I organize. I mm. organize a lot of different things. Right now I'm organizing um, something for the Asian, uh, Asian immigrant community, mostly Chinese immigrants. We're working on a project in Massachusetts. I don't know if I should go into it, but the Weymouth Compressor Station is a, is a, it's just criminal that they are trying to put this into a place that already has um, incredibly, you know, elevated levels of both cancer and uh, respiratory problems for the residents. There are already like 10 um, industrial plants in the area, something like that. This, the, the mayor of the city and the neighboring cities are having lawsuits against the company in mm. order to not have it in, be in their town. And the Department of Environmental Protection, supposedly, and the Department mm. of Public Health and Governor Baker are all in cahoots with the, um, the company, the, the, the Enbridge, which mm. is the company. So it's a real, real... And, and this is the last link to this fracked gas pipeline from Pennsylvania to Canada, where the Micmac people have been fighting it as well for five years or something. Mm. And it's all built except for the part in Massachusetts. So uh, those of us in Massachusetts have been working, and those of us in many groups have been working really hard to make sure this, pipe, this com compressor station doesn't get built. But... It's getting scary, and you know I think civil disobedience is probably going to happen eventually if they really give all the permits. So recently, a judge ruled in favor of Enbridge when we were all the department. I mean, all the um, the doctors for social responsibility, physicians for social responsibility, the fire chiefs. Nobody wants that compressor station. Mm. So, so I work with groups. I work. I live my own life. You know, personally, differently. Um, I try not to fly. Mm. I try not to. I, I I go around with cards that I made up to give to people who are idling their cards. I know that it's like all a drop in the bucket, but it's about spreading awareness and it's mm. about like really trying to engage people and thinking about it. So, mm. and I always try to be kind and and connecting when I talk to people. So I've had some very sweet exchanges with people when I say, you know, I'm work with climate organization where China's raise awareness about climate crisis and some people are like that's so great thank you you know and they immediately turn off their engines hmm yeah forgive me for idling outside your house in my father's car <laughs> I realized oh man I was doing that the AC was just so uh, compelling yes I know and I, and I understand like for some people who work outside all day and the AC in their car is the only thing that they have all day, you know, mm -hmm. I totally understand that they need that. Um, mm -hmm. But they're often, that's not the case for everybody. Right, you know? right. But, uh, and it's also because of isolation. Like, people don't want to go and be, 
like you could instead of sitting in your car many times you could go inside to where you're waiting for like if parents are waiting for their kids at a class they could go into the school they could go into the place they aren't waiting you know usually right. there are seats to sit in but people want to do their own thing we're very right. individual we're very glue attached to our own space and our own comfort and devices another another numbing out you could say um, one somewhat maybe controversial thing that I wonder about, and I, I wrote as a question, which I think is interesting, is about the death of our species. And I think about the dinosaurs or species death in general, and there's certainly many theories about how other species have died in the past or gone extinct, um, and some are very much tied to human impact. Um, but I wonder if the humanism and the thought that humans must survive above all else um, is the most environmentally responsible approach to um, the planetary life, right? And I guess the question I have is, do you think the death of our species could in the long run be the best thing for our planet? You know, that's a, it's a really interesting question. Um, and there's, I, I feel like I could get into a whole nother <laughs> uh, area of, like, so, so I've worked a little bit in, on the, the idea of internalized human oppression, sort of as a general, like, a lot of people, and I included, feel like human beings are, we're like a parasite on, on this planet, right? Right. But I've worked on that in my sessions, in my counseling sessions, and realized that it's like, that is one of the most damaging, like that's one of the reasons that we feel so badly about ourselves, mm. that, and that we, and that the feeling bad about ourselves doesn't help us to actually act well or be connected. Right. It like, it paralyzes another us. Hurt. Mm. It's another hurt that serves to just make us more hopeless and more resigned and more, you know, like, uh, we're just, we're not even worth trying to save, mm. right? And I think that human beings have a, a different, we're different from dinosaurs. We're different from a lot of um, life forms that we do have the ability to change our environment and we have done that and we could... I guess I guess I I guess I want to just say you know we're we have the ability to fight for ourselves and fight for and we can do it in a bad way or we can do it in a good way right mm. we fight each other in bad ways all the time obviously um, war <laughs> being the obvious one but uh, but it little on smaller levels as well mm -hmm. but um but we actually have the possibility of fighting for ourselves as a species and fighting for everybody so that's why I really believe like a lot of people get that now in the climate movement that we're fighting for a different world mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. Naomi Klein wrote about it beautifully and this changes everything we're fighting for a system systemic change that could you know really take care of all human beings and take care of the other life forms on this planet and you know, if we changed things enough, 
it would save both the planet and human beings and you know and really alleviate a lot of the misery mm. <laughs> so we're looking for a transformation then every you know a lot of people are going to like that's pie in the sky you're totally you know but there's so much there's so many ways we've changed our world and many many beautiful ways ways for the better and mm. you know hope and um, love are more powerful yeah I agree with that. I really believe that love is more powerful than anything out there. And, you know, Mm -hmm. and the more you open up your heart and the more you you heal and have the ability to love people, love life, love the planet, it's kind of mind-boggling, like, how huge that is and how limitless your love can really be. Absolutely. I agree with you. Do you... I, I had a great conversation with Alex about kind of the often binary perspective of either forget about it it's all going to you know blow up and the either the planet's going to end or we're going to end um or technology will solve this so i don't have to worry about it but alex spoke about kind of a middle ground where it's actually like no we can intentionally create self-sustaining communities and live less resource heavy lives like you live um, and be more oriented around love extremism in all sorts of ways so as to maintain this earth as is and not necessarily rely on a savior or quit and just assume failure. Um, Where do you fall on that? Do you feel as though technology plays a huge role in this or is it really each individual committing to um, the practice of loving the so, planet. So there's there's two different questions here, I think, or, or two different... We have to think in the short term and the long term and mm. the big picture, and right? Mm-hmm. So s- short term, we have 10 years to really turn around, uh, you know, making sure that we do everything possible to stay under the one and a half degree increase, right? Mm-hmm. The, if the planet warms more than 1.5 degrees, right, there's going to be, there already is, there already is climate disaster all over the place. We know that. Mm-hmm. But it's going to be a lot worse if we go up there, and it's going to be just tremendous. You know, I mean, as it is, we already see the climate refugees, you know, from all over. We're going to have hundreds of millions of climate refugees. We're going to have diseases. Everybody knows, right, the... the, the, <laughs> the well, maybe not everybody, but... Yeah, unfortunately, not everybody of, does. Yeah. So, so we have a short term, and we can't... You know, so short term, I think we need to build a mass movement of people who are... And, and we have to um, elect the officials who are going to have the, the courage and the intelligence to make the kind of decision, kinds of decisions that... We have to make on a global level because this is a global issue. Right. It's a planetary issue. Um, we cannot do the kinds of things we need to do without all the governments of the world cooperating. And mm. we had that almost in the Paris Treaty, right? Mm-hmm. We almost mm-hmm. had that, but we have to actually follow through. Right. And now with you know with our government having pulled out of the Paris Treaty and with all the different well barriers that we have now it's 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 gonna it's, it's gonna be hard um but in the big picture 
know, I, I really believe that we want humans uh, to we want we want everybody to have the access to to the kind of lives that that will um, allow them to do the kind of healing and I don't know it I think I've lost my train of thought here but but basically I, I was thinking of the short term and long term right and um, I'm not I don't believe in tech that technology is going to save the planet or human you know it might. It might save a few human beings, like all those movies where you send off the few <laughs> human beings in the space pod, and right, right, you know. But I, I, I think we can do it. We know, you know, we have the solutions. Right. We have actually, we have the money and the solutions. Mm -hmm. We just have to have the will. Right. And the, right now, the will is being completely um, sabotaged. Mm -hmm. Right. Misdirected. By, by a lot of um, people in power, mm -hmm. and and unfortunately, very um, confused people in power who who don't <laughs> who 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 have been so hurt and so damaged that right. they really don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. Do you see leaders coming up through the ranks that you look to and um, are inspired by in the moment? Well. Um, I think there are a lot of leaders out there who are doing great work. Yeah. I guess in the political, American political frame, you know, where its primary season is upon us. And is there anyone that you see speaking up appropriately about our environmental crises? Um. So there are people in the climate movement. You're talking about political, like, like legislators. Yeah. Um. Honestly, I, I, like Alexandra. Um, Ocasio Cortez. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, she's done amazing work. Mm -hmm. um, I think you know. I, I'm glad that people like Jay Inslee are bringing it, bringing it up in the presidential candidates. You know, in the debates and stuff like that. But um, people like Jerry Brown have been really instrumental. You know, mm -hmm. in California. Um, mm -hmm. That there are, I, I don't actually, I don't, I, I love Elizabeth Warren, but I don't think she's speaking up enough about climate. Right. Um, and I don't think she's, I don't think she gets the, the entire systemic change that needs to happen. Mm. She's a really great fighter, mm. and she's really probably the most, um, Well, experienced in this fight, um, mm -hmm. other than Bernie, and mm -hmm. I think you know, I kind of think Bernie and Elizabeth are doing great work in the Senate, and they should just continue doing their yeah. work in the Senate. But um, it's hard to say. It's yeah. I mean, I I don't think anybody is doing enough on the climate front. Right. Well, we're just about at the hour mark, but I would love to wrap up with a couple just kind of final pieces. This has been a really Great conversation. Thank you for welcoming me into your kitchen for Thank this, you, Amy. Ethan. This has been great. Um, I'd love to hear maybe one way you've spoken a bit about kind of love practices and 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 some of the work that you do around counseling and, and the climate. But are there any self loving things that you do on a regular basis that you would share um, 
you know, practices that you check back in on? It sounds like obviously counseling is one that's important for you. Are there others? Um, I think that's, that's a hard question. Right. I, the counseling sessions are definitely where I, you know, that's where I'm taking care of myself. Right. Um, and um, for some reason I just think like, feel like everything I do in my counseling sessions is getting back to self-love. Right. Because as we know, you can't love others without self-love. So, 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 and so every time I pick up the phone or every time I have a counseling session, it's about going back to self-love. Mm. And, um, so, and, and when I play music, Yes. We were talking about improvisation earlier. Yeah, I love, I love, love, love playing music. I love improvising. I mm. don't see it, I don't, I've never thought about it as like my self-love, but mm. um, taking care of, like doing yoga and taking care of my character, taking care of my body is about self-love. Um, For sure. Eating well is about self-love. Mm -hmm. Choosing, you know, making decisions all the time about whether I exercise or eat sugar or whatever. It's all about <laughs> of course, of course. Okay. There's a couple of things in there. Um, how do we find you? Is there a good spot? You're organizing a lot. So are there specific places where we can find you your can work? Find me at the State House. <laughs> yeah, there you go. The steps right. of the Massachusetts you can, State yeah, House. you can find me there. You can email me. Okay. Uh, do I give my email? It's up to you. Oh, well, <laughs> You can email me. You can find me on Facebook. Okay. Um, uh, Amy Ty. My email is at gmail. Amy at gmail.com. Okay. Uh, yeah, and, and maybe we'll put your Facebook up on, on underneath the podcast. Yeah, so people I have to can... say that I'm not a social media person. I've just recently put myself in Facebook again after shutting it down nine years ago. Um, and I mainly did that to reconnect with my Peruvian friends in Peru. Mm. Because nice. I went back to Peru recently. Nice. And uh, then I opened a... So that one, that email is for my Peru world, and then I opened a new one for my U.S. activism world, and I haven't really done anything yet there, so... Got it. Okay. Well, yeah. if people want to get in touch, you can always reach out to me. I'm at Ethan Lipsitz, E-T-H-A-N-L-I-P-S-I-T-Z, and I can introduce you to Amy. Um, she is a local leader here in Massachusetts and also impacting the world and connecting with people from across the globe uh, in many ways. So grateful to know you and to um, see the fellow love extremism that yeah. we share. Thank you, Ethan. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Yeah. So to take us out, do you have a song in mind that, that we can play on the outro? Ideally, it's something I can get in digital format. I know we were speaking about a, a, so another song. I wrote song. a song um, that uh, many years ago that was inspired by the love that I saw um, two mothers have for their children. Um, my sister, Howley, and my friend, Connie, uh, mm. who, had, who has two children. But, but the love in their eyes, and this was before I had my own child, so mm. I, was, um, I wrote this song called East and West, and... Mm. I 
So okay. Talk about self love. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, we're gonna have to try to find it and see if we can get a digital version. Um, but if not, maybe we'll we'll find something similar. But uh, Amy Ty, thank you so much for this conversation. You're and welcome. my pleasure. Thanks to everyone who's listened in. Um, please share, comment, rate, subscribe. Can I end with one thought? Please. All right. Just remember that you are a miracle if you're listening, and every single human being is a miracle, and every little thing you do in your life and in the world matters and can make a huge difference. It can make a huge difference whether it's just a smile or a handshake or reaching out or eye contact. Mm. Thank you for saying that. Those are some beautiful ways of spreading love and feeling love within yourself. So you are a miracle. All right, signing off, Amy Tai, Love Extremist Radio. See you on the next one. Stand my way.
stand my way. 